0: shark brain episode 11 i'm your host jake newton thank you for clicking for downloading for going to the website and pushing the button i really really do appreciate it this week on the show we've got steven mcmoran of the band satellite he was in town playing the show grabbed him sat him down for about an hour we talked love that dude you get to get to know him a bit more he's a little bit of a got a mystical sage quality to him we'll get into that further but uh I wanted to check in with you guys. Thank you guys for writing in, for sending tweets and emails, all incredibly encouraging about the show. I really, truly do appreciate it. Continue to do so. You can catch me at sharkbrainpodcast.com, which is maybe where you're listening to this, or through jakenewton.com. All avenues to get to me are on Twitter, at Jake Newton. This week it was Halloween. What did you go as? I spent... It's been a moderate amount of time trying to figure out what my costume was. Normally, I just don't really care that much. I usually like trying to go as an arcane character to kind of show that I'm countercultural and that I've got my finger on the pulse and that I don't really care too much, so don't make fun of me, please. Some weird kind of latent junior high school uh, problem with my own subconscious or my own personal self-worth as personified in the Halloween tradition. But this year I had a real impetus to actually figure out a costume because a friend of mine, friends of mine, were getting married on Halloween night. Now if you knew them you would say this is perfect. It's the perfect time for them to get married. They're kind of into the macabre and the bizarre and they're really huge fans of Morrissey and Danzig and that whole vibe. That very much, very much that kind of wedding that uh, I don't think exists a whole lot of places but definitely in California we have those kind of weddings. Halloween night weddings where everyone wears black. Now I don't know what I expected. I don't know whether or not I really thought it out entirely. But I happen to like cartoons as a grown man. I like cartoons because they're simple and they're easy and they're little tiny life lessons and they're macabre and bizarre. And I think that people that are my age that have a weird sensibility about the world are finally starting to get hired by production companies to make cartoons with bizarre, whimsical I don't know. It's, just, it's something to just ignore and then turn my brain off with. So I went as a as a character uh, from Adventure Time and everyone else in the entire place was dressed as a very hip skeleton or, or Dia de los Muertos person covered in face paint, very intimidating looking or old zombies, very well done and there I was dressed as a very light and fluffy cartoon character. The only other person that really knew who I was, was a six-year-old with, yes, the exact same costume. So I had those little conversations in my head, little tiny pinprick conversations. What does this say about you? What does this say about you as a person? Is this some sort of bizarre arrested development that you would dress exactly how a six-year-old would dress? Maybe you're not ready to be an adult. Are you ever going to be an adult? You're 32 years old. What's the end game here, man? You showed up to a wedding... And everyone else had the opportunity to look macabre and cool and maybe some weird sardonic take on Gone with the Wind or, or maybe some tin type of an old Civil War soldier or some someone from an insane asylum and you went as a cartoon character. What does that say about you? I mean, it's kind of hard to take your depression seriously after that if you are being, you know, vitriolic with yourself, which I tend to be. But you know what? Toward the end of the night, I gave myself the pass because you should have seen the look on this kid's face. Six years old, turns to me, I'm wearing the exact same thing. I completely validate his entire existence with wearing the same thing. I was the cool dude. He came up to me. We had a good talk about the cartoon itself, the ebbs and the flows of the plot lines, our favorite episodes, our favorite characters. I'm talking with a six-year-old. And meanwhile, other people are in the background worrying about their cars and worrying about their lives and whether or not people are going to actually get the fact that they showed up as someone, not necessarily steampunk, but in near the Victorian era. But there I was. And it felt great. It felt a certain sense of ease. And I loved it. I think I put too much pressure on myself. I think that that's probably an understatement of the year. But there doesn't need to be this pressure to posture. There doesn't need to be this this narrative that you keep up in your mind to show to other people. It's a fool's errand to try to do that. I think that you can go one or two different ways, especially when you're trying to be an artist specifically in this industry or just in life in general. You want to put forth something to people, to give them a story, to give them a narrative that they can not really encapsulate you, but just give you an elevator pitch of your life. And, uh, many people try to go for the cool. I was listening to an interview with an actor, um, last night or two nights ago, probably going to be up for an, o- an Oscar for the role that he just recently did, but there is just so much subterfuge. And, uh, this person that he had created to show the world in front of interviews and, and it just felt inauthentic. It felt entirely fabricated. And you can see straight through to it. I don't know, I was fooled when I was in my early 20s by the, the belief that we all have to be James Deans and Marilyn Monroe's and Clint Eastwood's and have a certain kind of persona that you put forth. But man, how exhausting has that got to be? I'm sick of it. I really am. I know that there's got to be a certain mystique when it comes to art, but in honesty, what is the problem with laying it all forth? putting it all on the page and bleeding out onto it and really giving your heart and soul to something and then showing up and literally just displaying yourself forward saying, this is what I am. I mean, is the fear overexposure? Is the fear that you're just going to be seen as a normal run of the mill everyday person that other people can, God forbid, identify with? Splaying yourself forward, realizing that every single person that you hold hallowed in your mind, every single massive figure of history or of art or of literature, every single person on this earth has to poop. You want to run that through your mind again? Every single person has defecated on the toilet, has felt bad because of someone didn't love them, has had that fear waking up in the middle of the night in the dark, We have this lionizing and we have this hero worship that just builds itself into the very core of us. Myself, personally, I can definitely attest to the fact that in lieu of actually living my own life, I've looked to other people, or at least the framing of what they are. That was actually a huge fear about making this show. A huge fear about splaying myself forward and showing my insecurities and inabilities and and fears that I might just demystify myself so much to the point that no one would really care what I have to say. I think the exact opposite is true. For years and years, I suffered under the weight of feeling like I had to be some sort of cool dude leaning on a lamp post, smoking a cigarette, saying vague things, and then disappearing in the night like some sort of hipster ninja. Oh, great and mighty hipster ninja. What sage advice are you going to drop upon the general public before flitting off to go right in your artist's loft while smoking cigarettes and looking deeply into your lover's eyes? What are you doing, hipster ninja? What can you call down from on high to us, mere mortals who consume your art? It's bullshit. We're just all people at the end of the day. We're just all people at the end of the day that get lionized by other people who are trying to make their writing sound good by making you sound like this mystical figure. I'm not trying to deconstruct the entire substrata of fame and art and all that. But I'm just trying to, I don't know, I'm trying to work through my own isms and schisms around it. Because it definitely gets in the way of actually making the damn thing. Pomp and circumstance with no substance whatsoever is what it is. Got to get to the heart of it. Got to put the honesty on the page. And that just comes from putting one foot in front of the other. Talk a lot about these kind of themes with Stephen McMorrin. Talk about him moving from L.A. to Nashville with his family. Talk about uh, writing in your true voice. Matter of fact, let's get to it. Stephen McMorrin of Satellite on Brain. I did, uh, for one entire month, uh, Bikram yoga, the, the hot yoga thing, you know, where it's over in Atwater, um, just he right here. gave
1: me a place to be centered. Yeah. Bit. Oh, absolutely, cause man. Down. And cause a lot of times I'm freaking out trying not to yeah.
0: just get scared. Oh yeah. The
1: whatever I can't do, like I can't yeah. do that.
0: Yeah. The anxieties, just generalized anxiety. And then, then you kind of go like, oh, there, there's this one move in there that was called, uh, I don't know if it's like the camel or something like that. They name them all after animals. But th- during that, I never every time I tried to do it, I was like, I'm, gonna, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to end myself. So, yeah, dude, uh, just throw that thing up in your face. All right. Yeah. Can you hear yourself okay? hmm Yeah. I love these arms. Oh, yeah, they're awesome. It's great. They can just articulate back and forth and, yeah. So, yeah. um Yeah, so you did hot – if you're doing hot yoga over in Nashville – yeah. There's
1: a place in East Nashville appropriately called Hot Yoga of East <laughs> Nashville. <laughs> or it might be East Nashville Hot Yoga. It's yeah. one of the two.
0: A simple Google search will turn up the same exact place. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's the
1: best name. <laughs>
0: well, you're in the Shark Brain Laboratories. We got Stephen McMorrin of Satellite. Yeah. Yeah. Woo.
1: <laughs> what are you supposed to say whenever people say your name?
0: Uh, you're just actually you're supposed to just scream me, 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 me until you me. pass out. <laughs> <laughs> me, <laughs> dude. How long are you going to be out here for? Or how long have you been out here?
1: Uh, been here about a week, and then leaving tomorrow morning.
0: Mm-hmm. And you moved out to Nashville two years ago from Six LA. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: eight years in Los Angeles, two years in Nashville.
0: Yeah. Well, I think I met you. I met you. What, four years ago? About? Yeah. Yeah. Give yeah. it,
1: That's exactly right.
0: Yeah. It was uh yeah, that was when Hayden was what three? Two. 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 Yeah. yeah. He was wee, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's getting bigger now. And now you're living out there out in Nashville. Two years. Two years in East Nashville. Mm-hmm. Which is is that I, I don't like, really I don't really know Nashville that Nashville's well. Nashville's
1: like Nashville's pretty pretty much one city made up of a bunch of neighborhoods Uh like anything else. Right. But these have really defined neighborhoods that I don't know. There's like, there's East Nashville and then Uh there's like 12 South. And then there's anyway, I don't want to list them off, but there's, there's all of these, uh, loyalty things Uh that go along with your neighborhood. Really? So the first thing I noticed about East Nashville is that everybody was, uh, everybody was so into East Nashville. Yeah. It's like they, Texans they, they being into Texans. Yeah.
0: You know? It's like
1: Texas being into Texas. We get it.
0: Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. It's awesome. East okay. Nashville. This is this is great. Yeah. Yes, we've got a lot of crime, but you know what? We have artisanal cheeses as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. That's
1: wild. But no, I love it over there. I've yeah. never felt more like myself than in the past two years living there.
0: Had you ever lived uh, anywhere other than L.A. or Little Rock? Or, or where you went to school?
1: Uh, I went to school outside of Little Rock, mm. but then mainly just went to Little Rock whenever we were yeah. going somewhere right yeah. so i lived in little rock basically all my life until i graduated college and then came out here
0: wow nice let's go back so you you grew up you grew up in little rock yep and uh any brothers and sisters
1: yeah i have one brother who is uh nearly 12 years older wow so i was a big surprise i was a yeah. big i was some something of a something 12 year- of an
0: unplanned yeah event 12 years <laughs> older that's a that's almost uh that's almost uncle status.
1: Yeah. No, it no, it was. Yeah. <laughs> I was an uncle very early in life though. Mm. So if that's uncle
0: status, yeah. I got
1: my uncle status pretty yeah. pretty young.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then <laughs> and when did you go to school for?
1: Um I wanted to be a pediatric oncologist. What? Yeah. Wow. I wanted to go into um med school after college. Up until about the point that I was about to graduate college. <laughs> <laughs> up until, that sounds right up right until the very end and then I'm studying for the MCAT and saying I don't wanna do this. I don't even want to do this a little bit. Like I like I don't wanna do this. Mm. And so I then I had to like back up. I'm either making a life decision or I'm having a bad six months. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So turned out to be a life decision. Yeah.
0: What what was the defining moment for you? Or was there a defining moment that kind of said, like, this is a watershed that I can't absolutely do this? I know there's that inkling, that going, like, this is hard. Everyone I've talked to about the MCATs or anything like that, the bar, these crazy, insane, insane uh, tests for these things. Everybody kind of goes through that crucible. But what was the moment where you kind of said, no, I can't, I can't do this for the rest of my life?
1: It wasn't, it wasn't my scores. My scores were fine. My, my readiness to get there was all set up like i i'm just sitting across from the interview right that mm-hmm. was the definitive moment where i'm in the interview to to uh-huh. school and they're looking at me from across the table like with this cockeyed kind of like you don't really want to do this uh-huh. look uh-huh. on their faces and i'm looking back at them like
0: yeah i do yeah
1: <laughs> i i know that i do
0: of course in my I
1: so all my answers were kind of tainted in that sort of uh-huh. and they were like no no, no, you're not. you not. just take a year off. That's what they suggested. Really? In the, inter- yeah. in the interview, yeah. why don't you take a year off? <laughs> I walked out and I was like, "You think it went well?"
0: <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, I, I can imagine like having a half-hearted pediatric oncologist. You yeah. Wouldn't really want to, be like, you know, yeah, your kids all screwed up. I don't know what to do with them, but you know, what am I gonna do? I could have been a contender. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. What is oncology? What is I? Uh, you know, it's all cancer. Really? Yeah, dude.
1: I wanted to be a a pediatric oncologist.
0: Dude, that's serious.
1: It was yeah. What? I felt I felt the fact that I even wanted to do that meant that I had to do that because who oh, yeah. wants to do that? Yeah, who wants <laughs> who wants to be surrounded
0: by child cancer? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that's some heavy stuff. What what prompted that, man? Um, I uh
1: I grew up with a friend who survived cancer uh-huh. and uh she was just kind of this big example of the, that uh, her family I was very close to her whole family and um it was it was uh, pretty significant to see how much uh, love and respect that it harbored yeah such a bad experience harboring such love and respect out of a family that survived such a hard experience and such a big scare yeah and so there was something in that that translated to okay i you know you can be a part of that story at times for people and and you can take part in it in whatever way that you can offer help yeah and that's that seemed logical i want to be a doctor yeah
0: I mean, yeah, that's interesting. And
1: no, it turns out I did not no. want to be a doctor and by the time <laughs> it came time. I mean, you decide what you're going to be when you're 10, Yeah, and you kind of feel guilty when you're you know Will 21 you back thinking yeah. about leaving the idea. But who says a 10-year-old gets yeah. to decide what we're going to do with the rest Absolutely. of my life? Absolutely. <laughs> I've got
0: some really terrible ideas about life when I was 10 years old. When I was 10 years old, I was pretty convinced that the best person I could be was the dude in the Leatherman jacket in the Heinz <laughs> Commercial with the, he goes to the top of the building and puts that uh, ketchup on the top of the building, runs down and he's driving by in a convertible and <laughs> just slops onto his hot exactly. dog. Exactly, I thought that was the that best. Thing ever, I was supposed to be that guy. Yeah. I literally looked like an extra from the Karate Kid, like a <laughs> member of Cobra Kai. That's what I thought that my paradigm was supposed to be.
1: See, if you say that, I'm picturing you in the uh, in the costume, in yeah. the Halloween. Oh, yeah, absolutely, skulls.
0: just like yeah, yeah beating poor Daniel sound up. Yeah. But you know what? He did deserve it. He was asking for it. <laughs> he shouldn't you know, have shown up to the party. Really well. Well, he, you know, he's just taunting them, man. You know, <laughs> listen, just don't go to that party, man. Just don't do it. Sometimes you got to go to the party. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put that on a t-shirt, man. Yeah, yeah. So, when did you start playing music? Um,
1: I grew up around it with my dad. My dad ran a recording studio whenever I was in uh, junior high and high school. Yeah. He was always playing guitar, always singing in church or something, mm-hmm. and and so I kind of grew up with thinking it was just kind of a part of life. Yeah. And then I wanted to play guitar, but my hands weren't really big enough, so I had like the ukulele in the yeah in the bedroom kind of thing. And, yeah, yeah, and that was fine. I never did learn it, but but then by the time I got into school and started playing cello, and then that led to bass, and then. Started singing around just mainly in the car whenever I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. I was the kid kind of trying to sing quietly in the back corner of the car. Yeah. So I've just always had it going. Yeah. You know? I didn't know that I could write songs all that well until I was out of um, out of college.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't think that pediatric oncology really uh, offers up a whole lot of, you know, rhyme and meter. And <laughs> so a lot of-
1: it, it's funny because it's... I had to, I had to do something steady, mm-hmm. and that was the whole goal. Like that's what I told myself. Because somewhere along the way, I felt like Dad was probably saying more than anything else: "If you want to do music, you're more than welcome to." Mm-hmm. But it's that whole business and world is full of sharks. So, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, So it's it's just at your own risk, right? Yeah. That's kind of what I always interpreted it to be
0: mm-hmm. well your dad was running a recording studio and there those guys can be the victims of quite a few charlatans sure, and that kind sure, of a thing sure you know? yeah does that make sense my it dad definitely
1: was it was it was you know it's not an easy thing to do
0: yeah it's interesting because my dad um I grew up around music in the same way um my dad singing and playing in church i was uh always propped up in church like get up there sing we're gonna all sing a song together yeah. you and you and your sisters and yeah. me we're gonna, yeah, we're going to do the, uh, another Peter Paul and Mary version of this song <laughs> and we'd do uh and, and i I you know same thing when I was eight years old, I got a a guitar, it was too big for me, so it kind of waned for a little bit until I, I realized like about eleven, twelve, thirteen that there was a little bit of power in it yeah. you know that the, you could kind of create an identity because I w- sure wasn't really doing very well at sports that was, <laughs> that was not going to happen. No neither was it I it was pretty
1: evident that I was not going to be a yeah. uh, sportsman. <laughs>
0: I remember many times having the glove on my face in the outfield. How like,
1: many times can I try out for the soccer team? Okay, I'm just not that good at soccer. I guess
0: I understand. I oh, win. Yeah. So yeah, that moving beyond that, then you, what was the uh, the impetus to come out to L.A.? Oh, um, that was after
1: that year. That, okay, so it took the year off, like they suggested in the interview, right? Yeah. And then end up in this job where suddenly, for the first time in years, I don't have papers, anything to study, anything mm-hmm. to like no tests to pass, and nothing. It was just a brand new world. And so, what do I do? I start doing as much as I can with all this free time that yeah. I suddenly have. And, uh-huh. and um, I ended up in a band and ended up on a record label. Um, and, and then moved out to Los Angeles on that whole plan that the label had set out, and regarding, it. and I didn't know what was going on. I, I wasn't really writing any of those songs, and I mm-hmm. didn't have much to do with it other than the, the I was playing bass, and certainly yeah. like trying to hell. I yeah, guess. what was, so you know was of the like, band? It was trading yesterday, trading yesterday, and so that was uh, that was probably a two year. It was probably evident that that wasn't going to happen after two years, Uh and then, and then now I'm just in Los Angeles, right? Mm -hmm. What am I? Okay, I think I can write songs. Yeah, by now, like okay, I'm gonna at least try that Mm -hmm. kind of thing is running through my head, and before we know it, it's um, it's turning into a publishing deal with having really. It wasn't overnight by any means but like mm-hmm. the pub deal came out of kind of putting in enough time with the with the right people that would maybe one day give me the you know a chance to yeah prove it right mm-hmm. and so that was good yeah got to prove it and mm-hmm. then, and then that turned into a bunch of songs that I didn't necessarily feel like even were me. Yeah, I was just trying to get credit on something that got on a record. That's uh-huh. like that wasn't my end game. It was like, okay. How's this? How should it sound? okay impersonate that writer? Here uh-huh. we go. Right. That was my big downfall. I shouldn't have done that. Um, what I should have done is what I realized in the where the paradigm shifted. Maybe I shouldn't even say should have done as it as it developed. Songwriting became. What do you sound like? Mm -hmm. Like what? Stop worrying about what anybody else might do. What are you feeling should Mm -hmm. happen right now in the song? Yeah, you know, and then, and that's a fun thing to answer all of a sudden for somebody who's been trying to write professionally and and not doing incredibly well at it, but Mm -hmm. still like I was doing okay. Yeah, I had some had some things I was proud of and and still was just kind of scratching my head thinking why do I not feel like this is worth it you know
0: well you had a couple of uh, cuts you had one Michael Bolton sang one of your songs the
1: first one was a Celine Dion song and then um, and then there were some other things in between on different rock things and Mm -hmm. then we then we have um, I guess my three biggest are the Bolton and Celine and then There's a Joe Cocker cut that happened recently. Mm. But it's all like, I'm like your mom's favorite
0: songwriter. (laughs) You know what I mean?
1: That's a rude thing to say, bro. I shouldn't say that.
0: No, hey, listen. I I completely understand. My mom uh, played that Santana record to death. (laughs) She loves that Santana record. I'm telling you, I I,
1: uh, I feel like I can sing ballads. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I can write ballads. But that doesn't mean that I should be... ballad writer
0: yeah now why do you say that as far as like limiting yourself to ballads is that is is it a feeling of limitation i just have a lot more that there's a lot more of an
1: itch there that needs to get scratched in regards to what kind of songs to write yeah and writing one type of thing wasn't really fulfilling me enough to keep doing it yeah right Mm -hmm. because if serving if if writing songs isn't serving you, then you shouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like if you're not feeling better from writing, uh-huh. then, then don't labor with it.
0: It's a good move, man. I understand because it's, listen, if we're all trying to, especially at a certain point in our lives, when you are you know, advanced in age, you know, if we were in the dark ages, we'd be, you know, We'd have grandchildren and be ready to die of a paper cut, you know. Yeah. But you know, we're we're in our thirties. But you get to a certain point where you realize, like, no matter what the job is, no matter how cool it seems, no matter how hard and arduous it is, if you're not enjoying yourself in the moment of making it, in the actual production of it, not to have done it. I mean, because there's there's quite a few things that feel good to have done, like. I don't know why I'd say like be running the Ironman, you know, super triathlons and all mm-hmm. those other things Though, mm-hmm. that probably feels good to have done. Sure. But if you're not in the, in the midst of it, in the entire journey of it, feeling joy or release or any of that, yeah.
1: it's Well it, there's, I think there's a difference between developing your craft and being devoted to the discipline that it would take to run that marathon. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's like accomplishing something is, is important, but, I don't know. I felt like I was writing songs for the reason of I wanted to make money. Yeah. Like, I wanted to, like, s- survive in Los Angeles. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, like, the bottom dropped out. Like, it was, it was like a panic mode. Yeah. Almost immediately mm-hmm. in regards to, oh, wait. I uprooted my entire life mm-hmm. to move to Los Angeles.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now what am I going to do? Like, because yeah. I didn't have any idea that what was going supposedly going to happen wouldn't happen. Yeah. I didn't even know what it meant to be signed to a label. I just mm-hmm. thought it was something that Yeah. Sweet, guess we'll yeah. be on a tour the, bus next, yeah. you For know, it's like
0: the next 10 years.
1: Yeah. Ten. Yeah. And, yeah.
0: and I you had really a know. and you had a wife was was your boy born yet or do you was he No, on the way? that
1: was it's was funny cuz right as the Celine thing happened, that was right after finding out about Aiden.
0: Oh wow Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of a, I went to like like Finding out about that, freaking out, and then going, okay, maybe we may we'll be able to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. It really did, like, I probably would have, I probably would have, like, read the writing on the wall or the other, you know, <laughs> like, if, the other, if it hadn't happened. hmm I don't know. I, I mean, I just know where I am now feels much more like who
0: I am mm-hmm. and what I want to be. Playing and singing in satellite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, when did satellites start up?
1: Um, probably the idea of it surfaced to be like a real band in '09, mm-hmm. and it was just built around songs that I I was literally kind of experimenting with, and mm-hmm. and, and didn't really plan on showing any other mm-hmm. artists. You know, it was sort of like if I'm going to write a song for me, what would it sound like? And yeah. that became the question to answer. Mm-hmm. And these turned into that, so I started playing them for you know different open mic kind of situation there was one writer's round where i played one and it was so quiet afterwards it like i thought i'd done something bad or something like it (laughs) was very very oddly quiet and then and then i got such this weird overwhelming response from from this room full of strangers and
0: it was neat awesome now that was with uh was that at molly malone's yeah that that was at molly malone's i remember when uh Justin Glasgow started talking to me about something. you got to hear this guy. You guys were actually coming over. You were doing, what was it? You were doing uh, uh, one of your songs. You were actually doing drums to, or you were just recording. Yeah. Going, well, was-
1: Glasgow, he did all the drums on the whole record.
0: Yeah. But I mean, this was before it was satellite, I think. Oh, yeah. 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 So this is back. you got to hear this guy. This guy can sing. And I was like, this guy can sing. I can I'll sing. I'll pay the judge of um, that. I can sing. Let me hear if this guy can sing. And then I was like, this guy can sing. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: Yeah, that was whenever we we were kind of... I had known Glasgow through uh, a gig that we were both on and... and always wanted to hear what he would do behind like a rig because Mm -hmm. I saw him on a drum kit and then I saw him behind a piano and then I saw him behind an accordion and then it was like, wow, I bet, I bet him with the studio would be a powerful combo. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was right around then that all that was happening with Mm -hmm. the Molly Malone stuff. And you know, my life wasn't making a ton of sense Mm -hmm. in general, except for these moments whenever I would play a song on stage Mm -hmm. and then suddenly it would kind of, that was it. It was, that was, that was, yeah. Just kind of calm down the storm Mm -hmm. in my head and it was nice and kept chasing that. Like just for the obligation of at least I'll have like, you know, like this is peaceful. Yeah. So,
0: well, honoring that, honoring the, those, you know, and just the memory of that first time you do it, it's the it's same like drugs, just chasing yeah. that first really great experience and, you know, getting it every now and then, but, you know, getting whiffs of it, getting... You know, it it sort of surfaces a little bit here and there, and you kind of you're just constantly chasing it. It's almost out of the reach all the time. But I I think there's just so much that we put up with, especially as touring artists. You're on tour right now, so you're in the thick of it. All this weird minutia. This it's a very bizarre thing to kind of take a step back and look at like, what am I doing? I'm having yeah, moving around. I'm I'm grabbing all this gear. This gear doesn't work. I have to you know find a place to stay, find a place to this that and other thing to sing songs in front of people. It's kind of weird. But then when you in it, you're in it, and you do it, and you're like, oh, this seems infinitely worth it. It's,
1: yeah, it's more than worth it. It's like, um, it's like a labor of love for something that you see building something that you know is developing out of you as you go through it. Mm. And it's a, it's, it's good. It's good to be a touring musician. It's good to be a, uh, devoted to the power of a live show and, Mm. and, and the demands on you that it has is just kind of you know the walls to push yourself up against mm-hmm. so i'm real happy with i'm real happy with being able to play more shows because even whenever nobody's there like mm-hmm. like if there's a night when nobody's there like i've had a few of those where that's that's man I'm just going to do the thing because that's a mic and a stage and some lights Mm -hmm. and like a room. Let's do it. And I'll kind of close my eyes and go into that place and, and be calm, Mm -hmm. you know, just be calm in that place. And that's nice.
0: There's a lot of, I mean, I've had the pleasure of seeing you guys live a lot, seeing you play live a lot, opening for you a few times. Uh, There's a lot of pent up, I wouldn't say aggression, but I'd say it's fervor, passion. In yeah. You're doing.
1: And the reason I guess it's funny to say calm inside of that, but it is soothing to just kind of bury your teeth and not like have any serious repercussion for it. if oh, I were, yeah. if I were to strain as hard as I do singing mm-hmm. on stage, in conversation it would weird people out <laughs> you know like it would, it that guy's like, intense wow Really? God, dial it calm
0: back. down this is, this is the grain aisle of the whole foods man <laughs> <laughs> this is not beyond exactly. thunderdome exactly i get it
1: man. so it's 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 nice to it's nice to bury your teeth and that's soothing and that's kind of what i mean by a step off stage feeling better mm-hmm. you know like yeah
0: it, and, and it's a good rush to be able to do that. Yeah, I did notice a lot of the catharsis just in general. I I kind of have a familiar, similar thing with myself. But when I would act, that was mm-hmm. the moments, some of the best thing when I do act, I should say. But uh, but we having a scene where you're angry at somebody and just really letting it all just see through you. And then at the very end of it, if you do really well, if you're really angry, really pissed off, really vitriolic, have this just grinding acid hate that just bores into another person. And then when you you get off stage or they yell cut or anything like that, if you do a really good job of it, they reward you which is phenomenal to me <laughs> totally different system it's the opposite it's completely opposite cuz i don't know about you but for me growing up in the church growing up where we did it kind of felt like you had to kind of uh, temper yeah. everything because to, to yeah. say the least yeah to say the least so yeah <laughs> and and also you know you what 6162 yeah six one six, yeah, six yeah. one. Six, one. Well, we're both six one. We're both north of one hundred and eighty pounds. When we get mad, people get scared because it's you can't just be like the little angry guy and people go like, "Well, yeah. watch out for him." When I start to get mad, if I like have a problem with somebody behind a desk at like the airport or something yeah. like that, they step. People back. get called. You know, people get scared. Yeah. You know? get. <laughs> you, you have to. You know, just sort of this big guy that you know. Like you know, I don't really feel. You know what? This is the thing. I don't feel like I'm six one. Do you ever get that feeling? You're like, like either... No, my like whole life,
1: going, I've I've been the Columbia, like Columbia, now I can't even say it, <laughs> clumsiest person yeah. that, I, that I have known, especially growing up. Mm-hmm. I was literally too big for any room I was in. It felt like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <all> <laughs> knocking stuff down. Oh yeah. So no, I've never felt like yeah. I would
0: quite understand. See, I, about 10th grade, I jumped out of foot. Yeah. Yeah, I was 5'5", five, five until junior year of high school. And then... <laughs> And then I just shot up and like had a summer where I was just waking up every single night with my muscles being torn from my bones. <laughs> what is happening to me? I was like beast and X Men. Just <laughs> <laughs> pajamas are tearing. Yeah. What is happening? <laughs> but we
1: we were talking about
0: what were we just talking about? Oh, we were just talking about um about emotions and catharsis through music and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So all that stuff. All that's all that junk. <laughs> being able to work through that stuff, being able to to push through that on stage. Um obviously you're not touring 365 days out of the year. Are you, how are you able to just are you throwing yourself into something else? Are you running? Are you you know, hot yoga you mentioned? You know? Well, I'm
1: definitely I'm definitely it's just a constant thing. If I'm not if I'm not home, then then I'm out working to play more shows, yeah, and to see more people, and to sell more records, and yeah. talk more radio, and all of our stuff, we're trying to keep spinning. Yeah, but when I'm home, I'm pretty much like, I'm pretty much like Mr. Dad. Like mm-hmm. I, I t- take care of pretty much everything at the house. You know, yeah. that's kind of appropriate for the for the point in the conversation that is coming up. That's true. It kind of sounds like it's... Oh, excuse me. Hold on just a second.
0: Let me yeah. go answer this. Wait a moment. I'm Mr. Dad right now. <laughs> Actually, it's Josh Donahue can make it a call. <laughs> There's trouble. There's trouble, absolutely. So, you started You started Satellite. You guys um, You guys started playing a lot more gigs. And, and up until... Like, recently, you guys were signed to... Uh, Descendant Records Descendant on Sony. Records. Yeah. So, it's you guys and the Lone Bellow. The Lone Bellow. That's uh-huh. right. Yeah. So two, which is strange that the two bands would get signed knowing each other yeah and but they, yeah. How, did they come to both of you at the same time no
1: no not at the same time mm-hmm. um they uh i think that jay jay the guy is the, jay's the AR guy mm-hmm. and he i think he was in this place where he had somebody ready to invest in his ears for talent Mm -hmm. and then he he was kind of suiting up how he wanted to do this and so he approached them and then he approached us um in time to kind of make things unfold in in a certain way that i feel like he had some master plan for (laughs) Mm -hmm. you get around him you feel he's the kind of guy with a master plan yeah yeah
0: he's working some yeah he's working some angles and he's he's making some moves he's a hustle i like
1: that and so um we uh by the time I was finished with the record, I, I really just wanted to, well, I say I, as we were wrapping up, finally, this pro, this project that had taken three years to, to create. And we had taken, I mean, we'd made the second half of the record twice. We didn't like it the first time. So we had to back up and Mm -hmm. start over. And that was, you know, a lot of history, a lot of history that went into that. And, here it is at a close, you wanna hand it off to somebody that you know and trust to to be a good, you know, place for it to land. Mm-hmm. Jay just felt like a natural place and he said, yeah. I'm gonna call it Descendant Records and Sony Red is gonna
0: Distribute and Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's all connected and yeah. locked
0: up. It's good. It's great, man. It's great. Now you you made the the second half of the record twice. I remember you guys had a lot of heat on you. Um, in the process of doing it, which may or may not have had an adverse effect on what you were doing because you're in the middle of this very tenuous, very uh, delicate creative process and you've got a lot of professional people with bags of money that are kind of le- looking over your shoulders saying, hey, let's hear some stuff. And I remember you guys, at one point you and I were uh, were hanging out and they said that they wanted to change a mix or on something there was there was somebody that came through that said they wanted to just change something infinitesimally that had already been released in an effort to rather rather opaquely um just get their hooks into it a bit more yeah
1: no that that actually didn't end up happening yeah. it was
0: it was a uh well, but you guys saw through it, but it, i mean like that 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 little seed of doubt that just gets planted in whether you believe it or not
1: yeah well there's there's always that there's always that to contend with you mm-hmm. know. But I think ultimately I feel like the songs the songs get done mm-hmm. and you can either admit it or not. And then you have to like decide how many rabbit trails you're gonna go down on yeah. that neurotic sense of it's gotta sound just you know? Mm-hmm. I like to keep moving. You yeah. Know? I like to just keep moving.
0: Yeah.
1: And and
0: Do you don't have a neurotic streak in you that kinda of just says, No, I do things?
1: I do, I do. I just have to Acknowledge that mm. I'm a little better off when I just keep moving, yeah. <laughs> keep yeah. it going, just yeah. keep it going.
0: Yeah, my, for me, it's uh, my creative process. At least when it's in its uh, sickened state, you know, where mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of limping along like you know uh, a lion with a thorn in its paw, uh, is is that you get this is the key for the Jake Newton, you know, <laughs> circle. <laughs> you get eighty percent done, you know, in that first initial swap. Yeah, then you obsess over without doing anything. Don't do anything. Just look at it and obsess over it yeah, yeah. over that last 20%. Do, yeah. do 15% more. Get it to 95% where it takes like two or three hours to finish the rest of the whole thing and put a button on it. <laughs> Never do that. <laughs> Let it die. Let it go off into obscurity. Bury it like Pompeii yeah, in a mountain of yeah, ash. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot yes. of there's a lot of those things, and then you come back. Oh, and this is vital too. Come back six months later and try to find the fervor and the and the joy of wanting <laughs> to go back and do it, and then just flagellate yourself <laughs> <laughs> and settle it there. It's very specific. <laughs> just, it's but it, and it's, it's great. But you you're doing the like you're doing the moving constantly moving forward all the time. Well, trying. I mean,
1: all I really think of myself as. You know, like, I don't see myself as much a producer as I do a songwriter. Yeah. And so, I'll just, let's go write some more songs then. You know, it's it's too easily, like, defaulted to for me. Mm -hmm. Because I can hear it in my head. Yeah. And then if I can start to describe it a little better and Mm -hmm. play it a little better and that kind of stuff, then then eventually I won't have this problem whenever I'm trying to explain it in a production setting. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Eventually I can just get what's in my head out and we'll go from there. And that's kind of where we're at now. I feel like it'll start moving forward a little faster. But there's a lot of little moments when you don't hang on to every little thing. You Mm -hmm. start to catch little moments that are pretty special. There'll Mm -hmm. be more of that, more satellite stuff
0: coming forward. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about the creative process as that happens and you hear, there's this obsession, especially with, we grew up, Right at the tail end of these huge lionized figures, you know, uh, obviously our parents with their Beatles records hanging around the house, and you know, the very first biggest greatest band, and to look to them uh, for inspiration to see all these other like mythic figures. This, yeah. I mean, in the in the 20th century, there were these these mythic figures that you were able to have because it was you know it, that was the system as it was as it is now. You know that like you can. Follow Robert Plant on Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if if people were able to, like, you know, check out, you know, like, Jimi Hendrix's blog every morning... (laughs) woke up yet another rainy day in yeah. Seattle. Yeah. you know, they, To do that he would de- demystify him and so we had this huge thing and all we ever saw were these huge, great, enormous, hallowed moments and all we ever heard about, like all you ever hear about from the Stones is you know where they played this altamont when it was this crazy bacchanalian thing. People died or <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Beatles, the Beatles One at Shea Stadium. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. All these all these nuts stories, you know, and when you apply that to yourself as an artist, you realize oh wait, I'm just, I'm just me? I'm uh, I'm uh, so now. I put out that record, and then if you put out another record that fails, you think that, or you put out a record. I, I had that moment with myself. Like I'm, I, for all intents and purposes, as far as uh, as far as money goes, as far as commerce goes with uh, with my records, some have done better than others. The ones that I have liked and I felt were better work. Have done, haven't done nearly as well as the ones where I was just kind of like tap dancing. And it's difficult to separate the self worth or not the self worth, but the intrinsic worth of a record from record sales or from, you know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, it's not an easy thing to, you can't stare at that too long or else you start believing that that's what matters.
0: Yeah. Well, that's why I started this podcast just in general to be able to. Talk through get, those. Get th-
1: back away from that whole thinking. Yeah, you know me, look, there's there's more ways to make music. There's more ways to listen to music than mm-hmm. ever. There's there's more music out there in the world than ever. Mm-hmm. That's just a fact. And there's no more time in a day. So <laughs> so it's not like the odds are are in our favor for our music being heard. But but I still think that it's true that people know a sales pitch when they see one and they know something authentic when they hear it and see it.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so like they know the opposite enough to, to get it, to get it and they're going to get it at a live show. They're going to get it on, you may be seeing it on television or maybe they're going to get it like hearing it tied up to their favorite movie, like in a, some sort of placement and, who knows, who knows how they find the music, but they will still gravitate towards it, like in need of it. Yeah. You know, cause it's refreshing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I think that that's what should be focused on, like finding something authentic. And, and if it's not paying your bills, then, then that's just the case. Yeah. That, that what does that have to do with it? The kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not like you can always just live there, but because eventually you got to pay bills, but uh, on another level, like there's a lot of ways to pay bills.
0: Yeah, there is absolutely there. There the thought in my mind that I have to remember that I have to ruminate on over and over again to keep to alleviate myself from just a sense of I don't know, a vestation just hopelessness. This, the, I you know,
1: everybody's out there trying to pay bills. Yeah, whether they're writing songs or not, uh-huh. everyone literally is the the culture we grow up in. The, the has constant consumption mm-hmm. we're always paying more bills mm-hmm. so that's just everybody I know is dealing with the same reality it's mm-hmm. just their career path and their passion might not match up mm-hmm. or their their uh, their <laughs> bills getting paid is secondary to what they're really doing mm-hmm. or it just depends on which one you you're gonna land at like you
0: I think that there's a big there's myth.
1: practical realities. There's there's you want to raise a family and that takes money. You want to you want to like deal with you know the car that just broke down that takes money. You got to but writing songs has to come from a place where it, you you feel better for having written that. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Do you think that uh, relieved for I having really, written it? Yeah, you know?
0: Yeah. Do you think that uh, there is there are shortcuts to finding the honesty, not to, not to, you know, for greater output or anything like that, but just trying to, to get to that honesty. Have you found a way to do that within yourself? Maybe. I right.
1: hope so. Yeah. I hope so. And that's not just for songwriting. Like, I hope I've gotten to a place with myself that I feel like I can be honest with yeah. myself.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. And in that, everything stems out of that. Yeah. Everything stems out of that, and and it's not being harsh with yourself. It's being, you know, understanding and compassionate and gentle and and trying to cultivate the real you that's in there. You know, yeah. Like there's a real me that was kind of getting shut down by the life that I was leading. I'm just kind of eventually numb, Mm -hmm.
0: and that's no way to be. No. Well, you got to that point, and then you said you you and your wife sat down and said, "This has got to change." What What brought up Nashville when you moved from LA to Nashville?
1: Nashville was well after what started waking us up. Yeah, we started waking up two years before we ever moved. Huh. But like, it was, um, it was really, it was really the being on stage that kind of made me remember. That I had something to alleviate, yeah, and that I was more compelled to 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 do this thing than anything else I had come across in myself, yeah, I was more compelled to be to be satellite than than any other that was the only thing that kind of made sense for a little while hmm. and and so just jumped off into that,
0: yeah. And it's with a a certain level of abandon, I might add. You know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I've been a two feet kind of person. Yeah. My whole life. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I'm cautious, but I'm not incapable of taking a
0: risk either yeah well i've been kind of the uh the apoplectic fear guy so you know i'm keeping it i'm keeping it real over here with the whole like uh like maybe we should just read a few more reviews on yelp before we try this restaurant <laughs> i had that moment the other night where i was sitting there going, like you know what i think i'm gonna go out and uh see this band that i've been thinking about going to see but you know what that that's kind of a pretty expensive ticket. Well, that's twenty twenty dollars. You can't do with a twenty dollar ticket. Come on, you're a grown man. You're not a poor starving college student. Yeah, but you know what? Gotta use that twenty dollars for. What are you gonna use it for? you got to feed your face. That's what you're gonna do. You're gonna buy expensive food and put it in your and turn it into poop. Why don't you go have a life experience? Yeah, but then I'll be out late and I won't be able to get up and do. That. There's no reason you shouldn't be able. And then and this then is this sh- is quite a dialogue. Oh my gosh, believe <laughs> that's you me. That's an inner that's an inner dialogue. Oh my, I just want to turn it off. I stayed up till. Five Five o'clock in the other night, just just having those dialogues, you know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, man. Then you moved out to uh, Nashville. Yep. You've been out there for two years.
1: Two years. Uh-huh. It's uh never felt more like myself yeah. than than in the last two years. I mean that uh, I said that before. Like it's it's a uh, it's a good thing to be able to mean, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not necessarily uh, something that. You know, what if it slips away? Yeah. <laughs> Make sure I acknowledge it while I was here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. What, what is it? What is it about your life in
0: Nashville that's so different from your life in L.A.? It's
1: not. It's not like like I'm doing something different with my time, mm-hmm. but I'm in a different setting, and that setting has a completely familiar thing to it. You know, mm-hmm. so like in a certain way, if I took Little Rock where I grew up and L.A. where I kind of was. And put them together, it would equal where I am now. Hmm. You know, I yeah. can make a I can make a strong argument for that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. That's it. Does seem like that? Uh, that's a familiarity. There. It's, it's often been put to me, just in my own head, and from other people, like, where would you want to live other than L.A. And I, I, I personally have a bit of a love affair with the place here, but that's because I grew up in California. Yeah. You know, right well,
1: it, and it's only it was only this trip because I think the last time I was here was maybe in February. And that was half a year ago. And before then, it was maybe four months before that. Mm-hmm. And then previous to that, I'd been making almost like bi-weekly trips here. All like The first year I lived in Nashville, I spent more time in Los Angeles, if I'm being perfectly honest.
0: I remember you being here a lot. And
1: so um, it was it was a matter of just keeping the plates I had spent and spinning. Yeah. And then once the label thing kicked in, like that took up all time, you know, when we were traveling and and Mm. not necessarily traveling through Los Angeles. Yeah. But, um, I, I guess it's only now, like now that I'm coming back with the fresh, you know, fresh start kind Mm of in my bones. (laughs) I don't, I don't know what to say, but it, it's like, I'm starting to see, what I loved about the city for so long you know, mm-hmm. I think it just warmed me down
0: Well, it does that, man. I think in a lot of ways, your perspective about Los Angeles is absolutely colored by your circumstances within it. And, you know, that's everything, though. That's with the the very existence of life. You can live in a tiny bit of hell in the midst of paradise. I'm sure there are probably dudes that work at resorts in Oahu or, you know, Tahiti, these random places, and for circumstance and mental anguish or for whatever reason, they're just sitting there in absolute hell. Yeah. You know, whereas, you know, there are people probably in the middle of uh, the slums of. Bombay, you know, yeah. like absolutely yeah. with, with bliss. I don't know, but hey, not, that's not to minimize that, you know, like, Oh, just be happy wherever you are. But at the same time, like for a family, for a circumstance and all that, you know, being able to move out to Nashville and not only that, but, uh, but to also get to a different paradigm shift. It seems mm-hmm. everybody I talked to in, in, uh, in the flux of going to one of these, one of the many music towns, New York, Nashville, here, sometimes Seattle, sometimes Portland, they move there for very specific reasons of the way that they react to the environment, Mm -hmm. which seems,
1: well, I think that I had one friend who said something along the lines of, uh, he, he lives in LA because he wants to live in the big leagues kind of thing. Uh And I thought that that was a somewhat, uh, funny way of looking at it Mm -hmm. in, in, it has to do with where you feel like you're thriving where do you feel like you're where do you feel like you are most you yeah right mm-hmm. and your art comes out of that your art your your craft develops inside of that kind of feeling so mm-hmm. it's just funny cuz it's it's not like i don't know i i see more cities now that i don't live in this city mm-hmm. you know yeah. i i've been really much more much more able to Accomplish major league things Mm -hmm. inside of what he would define as a minor league city, which I thought was very odd. Anyway,
0: just thought. No, that's that's strange. You're right. I think that um, these days, where your home base is, Mm -hmm. is pretty much where do you have fast internet. And the ability to yeah. the ability to keep yeah. like all like those plates spinning like you were talking about. I know a ton of people who I you know you find out where they live and it's like well he lives in the backwoods of Wisconsin he lives in rural Illinois yeah and you are kind of like how do you how do you deal with that It's was like well every six months or so he goes on a tour of every single city on earth yeah that's yeah. how he can kind of you yeah. know. Get up and, you know, know his neighbors and, you know, live this ho-hum life is that he's, you know, was in Dusseldorf in front of 500 people screaming his name. Yeah, that's... that's. I love Dusseldorf. Oh, the Dusseldorfians. Dor- Dorfites. Dorfman's, And Dorfman's. They're Dorfman's. <laughs> well, dude, so what's up next? What do you, uh... You guys are on the tour? Uh, any yeah, shows coming up? We, uh... We are in
1: Boston. Um well i don't know when this airs but tomorrow so we're in boston today <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah monday the day of i'm this- sorry sorry
1: tuesday tuesday okay tuesday. so i'm
0: not even getting it right so the day after this episode airs you're gonna be on yeah. in boston where uh we're in boston we'll be in cambridge at a place called middle east yeah, I love Middle East. They have great hummus. Yeah. yeah. Last time
1: I was there, the power went out. Yeah. Yeah, the power went out. It was it was hot and it blew like I guess a circuit, and so oh. the whole stage just went black after a song. Uh-huh. It was very odd. Yeah. It was right in the middle of like a break, so we were kind of like, oh. wait, hold on, hmm. what are they trying to say? Like we, we were <laughs> mad about right? it like, for a second, and then I thought, oh wait, nobody seems to know what's going on. We've had a power outage. Yeah. Well you know, thirty awkward seconds go by and I said, Screw it uh-huh. <laughs> I unplugged my guitar and I got out to the front of the stage as much as I could and we did half the concert just awesome. sweating in yeah. a in a uh, eastern confined seaboard.
0: room. <laughs> uh, eastern seaboard sweating. That's a different kind of sweating. It's yeah. a hateful sweating. And it's in that basement down there, you just like you, you feel like you're cloistered, like we're all gonna die here yeah. like rats. It was a fun night though. It uh-huh. was it was a fun like
1: I I will never forget that. Mm-hmm That was another one of those moments where it's like, well, it didn't go like I expected it to. What are we gonna do here? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, guys.
0: But so you're you're there tomorrow, and then uh, beyond that, any other shows throughout the rest of the year? Where are you at in the album cycle? You're writing and yeah,
1: we're we're uh, going to Burlington after that, and then Nashville for a little while. Mm -hmm. Working on more stuff. Working on more songs.
0: Always. Yeah. Always. Always working. Right on, dude. I want to thank you for coming in here, man. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that guy. It's great to talk to him. I miss seeing him around more. Now that he lives in Nashville, I got to get out to Nashville. Friends, fans, how do we make that happen? Where do I play? Send me recommendations. Tell me where you want me to play. I want to do an East Coast tour. I'm, uh, I'm itching. It's been a while since a good tour has come along. So, it's time to take my message to the people. My neurotic message of vague hope and witty sarcasm. Let's bring it. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You can check everything out, all the episodes that we've done before at sharkbrainpodcast.com or at jakenewton.com where you'll see live tour dates. Maybe buy some merch. Maybe donate for the show. Any number of things. I really, really appreciate it. Can you hear that in the background? I don't know if you can, but there's a whole series of sirens. I think they're finally coming to take me away. Wow, that was a dad joke. I really am getting old. All right. I'm going to go into the other room right now and beat myself up some more. But thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys from the bottom of my heart. Love your friends. Be well.